Hey everybody, it's Dave, and I wanted to tell you that I have new music out. That's right. My other job of being a singer-songwriter just released two new songs that are heading toward a full album that'll come out in October, but the first of which is called Sunshine. It sounds kind of like this in the background. You gotta go check it out to hear the lyrics. And the other song is called Haley with a Heart, and it sounds kind of like this. Ooh. So, if you need some new music, you just need something to jam on your way to work, or doing push-ups, or picking up the kids, or dropping off the kids, or pushing up the kids, you know? It's a good workout. Go check out Haley with a Heart and Sunshine anywhere you listen to music. There's five hot takes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, party people. Whoop, there it is. I thought you knew. I uh, am so excited to be back with y'all. I've been out gathering, spelunking more musical hot takes. And uh, this one's fun. This one's, we're kind of all over the place. We go we go deep diving on this one. So get your uh, get your scuba gear. Um, I'm excited about sharing some uh, some uh, nuggets with y'all. Call me Denver because I'm sharing nuggets. Or call me Chick-fil-A because I'm sharing nuggets. <laughs> Gosh, it's been a while, and I'm excited, and that's what you're hearing right now. It's just my enthusiasm. So, uh, y'all get excited. Let's get into them hot takes for your face and for your body. No, 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 forgive me for that one. Hot take one. Hot take one. This We're starting the batting order off with a terrible sports analogy with, uh, with one of my favorite artists of all time um, and someone who actually I've known for a long time, which is even more fun. But uh, John Mayer, to me, is probably the most talented I think artist of my generation, which I know is coming in really hot, but um, I'm a spry 43 this year, and uh, John is the same age. We came up around the same time. He was a little ahead of me and sort of like being out and playing shows. I was still gestating <laughs> in my cocoon, um, and uh, but we met really early on. I think we met in like, gosh, 2004. Um, I was so uh, excited to know he knew my music and and uh, and we became friends and I saw him out every now and then he invited me to play on the Mayorcraft Carrier, um, which was really cool. He did a um, a music cruise that was really cool. He wrote a little thing about me on his blog. It was really cool. I, I one of one of my favorite moments in my career because I'm just such a fan of his, um, and I really do think he is just a monster talent. I, I, I think again he's kind of a once in a generation kind of artist. Um, incredibly talented this so it's it's fun i was this song came on uh my shuffle the other day and uh on shuffle the other day i don't own, i do actually still own a shuffle if y'all remember those <laughs> like little tiny i was like apple's third generation of a music player but um and uh and and I just remembered how much I love this song. John John is an incredible writer. Obviously, his musicality to me is what I think is one of his best, uh, one of his most fascinating skill sets. Is he does that thing that the Beatles sort of do, and we don't need to digress too much here. But I think what makes the Beatles so unique is they just kind of had no respect for musical. Um, like you have to stay in the key. You know, I read this stat where I think of the 188 songs they wrote, 133 of them left the key that they started in. And so John has a little, a lot of that too, where it's like, he'll throw in a chord or two or a moment or two. And, and a lot of his songs, you kind of think, Oh, I didn't see that coming. And I think that's, that's usually the sign to me of someone who's really got something unique in their gift set. That's, that's not sort of tied to conventional songwriting or, or, you know, what you would sort of, um, con, uh, traditional, melody writing I guess or current melody writing you know it can leave and get out of the key and come back to key and this song does that to great effect and it's and it was really early on in his career it's a song called Only Hard it was on um, Heavier Things and I just remember thinking gosh this song is so cool it makes me feel all these weird things um, I didn't know why but you know sitting down and figuring out I was like oh, okay this is what's going on but it's in G, so it's G minor C minor and sort of F sus 
Um, cool vibe, right? So he does. That's the verse, right? Well, then again, so you could argue two things. It could be in G minor, that six minor, uh, or it could be in B flat if you want to do that. It's it's you know it's really kind of one of those like bluesy things in, in G sharp, or I'm sorry, in G minor. And then all he does for the for the chorus is just changes it to B minor, E, F sharp, A. So now we're in A, or I guess we're really in D again. That you know you could call it B minor, or you call it D, both relative minor major um but it's weird because if you are going to call it b flat and you are going to call it d removes that is a two he's moving two steps up so two whole steps he's going from here to here it's it, it there's no shared notes really that's there's no sense that doesn't why you would never it's just fun to it's like hey let's just change to a random key it's not a relative key there's no and so that's that's what's fun about it because the scene change again this our my friend Dustin say Dustin Ransom said this about the Beatles once and I think it is their genius is they they were just the kings of key of of scene changes like in the middle of the song it just would you just feel different all of a sudden and if you pe- peel back the layers you realize. Usually that's because they're changing keys. There's some some note in it. You're like, oh, that's not supposed to be there. And this is one of those where John does that. And to here. It just, but that shouldn't, there's no reason to do that. I will say this. I think sometimes in songwriting, I'm not saying John did this at all, but you can get into this thing where you're like, chicks on you. And you're like, I got this cool idea for a chorus, like, you got my only heart. But do you hear how low you'd have to go or super high to sing that? You got my- I mean, I can't even sing that high. So, so what you can do sometimes is go, okay, I need this thing to gain some momentum. And then all of a sudden you just go, you got my only heart. And it's not, you know, John's voice is really interesting because he actually doesn't sing. It sounds like he's singing high, but he's kind of, he's really more of a baritone singer, I think. And so if you ever sit down and learn his songs, you realize how low his voice is in so many of them, but the timbre of it makes it sound higher, the timbre of his voice. But this is one of those, like, that is a very low chorus of saying, You are my only high. I mean, listen to how low that is. But, it, but the energy changes because he moves up two whole steps. And then the coolest part, this is my, one of my favorite parts about this song. Then he's back in the, and then he's back in uh, G minor. And what he does for all those guitar players that I think is so fun. I love this. It's that I don't know what to call it. I always call it like the Doobie Brothers. You know that thing. So it's like if you're holding an E minor up uh, on whatever fret that is, it, and then you just pull off to leave your one finger there. So you go move it down a whole step and do the same thing. And then you're back in G in G minor. I, I love that. It's it's like it's such a cool. And again, there's just no, there's no real melodic reason you would do that. It's, it's just sheerly something in his brain went, oh, that's cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. That, that's the change I want. That's the feel I want. Um, and, and I think something that I have learned to respect a lot in songwriters is that, again, as Dustin, as my buddy Ransom says, just scene changes in songs where you just kind of go. And I think a lot of times for listeners, you're like, something changed in my heart, <laughs> and I don't know why. 
just to realize later, if you sort of peel back those layers, um, it's just a songwriter employing some kind of key change. That's not that typical sort of like choir thing where it's like, let's go half a step up and now the choir's louder and we're singing. And you're like, yeah, it's this really tricky, like, ooh, I didn't know you could do that. A great example of this, by the way, is Norwegian Wood by the Beatles, where I can't remember if it's an E or what key that song is in, but basically let's pretend it's an E. I once had a girl, or should I say she once had me? Major. And then the chorus. E minor. It just, it's, it really is this amazing thing to do to make people feel something different that you're just not used to. And so I think John does it again to just great effect in the song. And the track is amazing. It feels great. But it's just kind of this, um, this kind of daring way to write a song to make people kind of go, oh, that feels, that makes me feel different. And I think it's a little bit of a cheat code of getting energy, uh, adding energy to a song that, that if you stay in the same key, you may lose, um, if that makes sense. So I love this song. Hot take two. Buckle up, folks. We got a scorcher here. This this is probably one of if is it one of my top ten favorite songs of all time, top twenty at least. I mean, Christopher Cross Sailing. I love this song as much as I can love a song. And I can feel the eye rolls from miles away. All you guys like, oh my gosh. And yes, I love yacht rock. I I love all yacht rock. I have it is it is it is my weakness. You know what I'm saying? I love <laughs> Sweetness is my weakness. I love Yacht Rock. I love it. I could listen to it all day long. I have a weird, also, I don't know how much, if, if you guys know this, but I have a huge sort of uh, uh, love for like elevator smooth jazz, which is a really weird quirk of mine, but I can listen to like just instrumental smooth jazz for hours. It's really, I don't know what that is about me. Maybe it's it's like the long distance cousin of, long distance cousin? <laughs> is that what you call that? It's like the distant, long distance cousin. Sounds like a terrible country song, but y'all go ahead and write it. It's a distant cousin of, uh, of maybe Yacht Rock, you know, smooth jazz. They really are related in a lot more ways than honestly, as I'm sitting here thinking about it. Anyway, a lot of major sevens. So, here is, I love this song as much as I can love a song. And I know y'all know this song. I didn't sing any of those lyrics right, but some of y'all may know this from the NSYNC cover, which I think is actually pretty fire too, but that's a whole other conversation. This bridge, this we're talking a lot about key changes today, I realized, in this episode. And this is one that is crazy bananas, doesn't make a lick of sense to me, but is so cool. So if you know that song, sailing takes me away to where I've always dreamed it could be. So the, you know, the, it's in the key of A. So then the core, the bridge, which has the, it's either finger symbols. It has, it's not a, it's not a, uh, it's not a um, triangle, but it's like ding, 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 ding. It's so loud in the mix. And it's like one of the things I love the most in the world. But so this bridge goes like this, A, you know, F, and then it goes D sharp, or D sharp to F to G. And then it goes C. I sort of murdered that melody because I can't, my brain can't split and do both at the same time. Basically, this is what's happening. It's an A. Then he goes flat six, flat seven. So to get back to A, but he changes right at the last minute. So he goes one. Flat six, flat seven. Then he takes that same idea and moves it. D sharp, uh, F, G. So so what's happening is basically he's using the same model, which is 
flat six, flat seven, one. But he moves it around in these different keys, but your ear sort of gets used to it because you see what's happening by the second one. So the third time it happens, you're kind of like, oh, I know what he's doing. So again, it's like A, F, G, and then D sharp to F. Now we're G. Now he just starts in C, but the same idea. C. Now he changes keys again to get back to the A. F. G. He does it cool. But um, it's just the weirdest. It, it Again, this is, it's sort of like only heart. There's not a real, there's not a ton of commonality here, or I should say common tonality. And it's weird that it sort of feels triumphant in a weird way. I just, I've always loved that bridge. That bridge, it, I mean, it may be my favorite bridge of all time for how it makes me feel. Uh, that is crazy talk, but I would rank this at least in my top three favorite uh, bridges of all time. Um, again, Lloyd, I love Lloyd, but I, but this is going to beat Lloyd in this uh, in this instance. So it's so just because what he's doing is just so wildly unusual, and, and you know I, I don't know how much I talk about this in the podcast, but this is like piano piano player chord changes. I just don't, I mean, other than, other than like guitar players in the seventies who knew a lot of chords and were like, you know, comp and weird stuff all the time. I just don't know a lot of, well, maybe Mayer, you know, Mayer and guys like that would do this who are real, like legit, legit guitar players. But like, I just don't know a lot of guitar players that sit around and go, man, we should write a bridge. Let me see. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And then, oh, that's cool. What if we just started and see for no reason? Love that. Let's get back to the old one. It just it, it it's just weird and wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And I think I sort of knew I I felt like it made more sense once I realized what he's doing, which is again just sort of like flat six, flat seven, one, and just moving it all around the piano. But it's really cool. And it again, here we go. Scene changes. It's just it's this song has always felt like a movie to me. Like it kind of has you know it has that intro that arpeggio that happens everywhere. But then the first starts and you kind of like okay I feel that and then sailing which that feels like sailing and then that bridge feels like another scene change. So it really does play out like a movie. You almost feel like thematic uh, movement in this in this song, and that bridge to me is a genius part of it. Michael O'Mardian produced it, and if you don't know who he is, dude, the deep dive on Michael O'Mardian, but incredible bridge, incredible bridge that actually sort of makes sense once you break down what it's doing, but I think the first time you hear it, you're like, how much peyote did this guy take before he wrote it? A lot. Hot take three. Let's keep the party rocking with the key changes. Here's another one that's really, um, I didn't even mean to sort of do what I'm doing now. So if any of it, you're like, wow, he did a lot of research to make this uh, this uh, episode all make sense together. I didn't mean to do this. And maybe it's just a um, tell on me being drawn to the same kinds of key changes. I'm sort of, I'm literally learning as I, uh, as I'm doing these. So uh, uh, if y'all know Unbreak My Heart, Tony Braxton, written by um, the queen of pop songs, uh, Diane Warren and I would uh, honestly and I'm, I feel like I've made this argument in another day's five hot takes which I need to just do a five hot takes on Diane Warren because she is she's not only one of the greatest pop songwriters of all time she also is the queen of really bizarre key changes uh, if you know her music at all or any any of her songs at all you'll know she sneaks all these re- again this is a thing I, did, I swear I didn't mean to do this guys but this is again something that I think Mayer's good at and something that the Beatles were the kings of is sneaking little key changes into things you're like oh it just made me feel different this is a great example of how 
good she is at doing this, at Dan uh, is doing this. So, Unbreak My Heart by Tony Braxton. So, So, all she's doing is that is in the key of D, and she's doing six, so minor six, minor two, five, and then every, I think every other time she does that, um, she does that uh, three, the minor three. So, you know, it's nothing you haven't heard before. It's cool, a little chord progression. But what she does in the chorus is really bizarre. She goes from there. So if you're in the key of D, she makes, now we don't ever play D in the chord progression. So we don't actually do this chord. But what she does for the key change is she goes from F sharp minor to starts with D minor. So if going to the one of her old key, but now it's a minor. So we're no longer in that key. We're in the key of um in the key of B flat. So it goes it goes first so it's one of that, like I said, it's the the again it's tricky because you you are used to being in the key of D, but now the first chord of the new key in the chorus is D minor. So you're like your brain's like what? So it goes uh love me again undo this earth that you caused when you locked out the door and walked out of my life and plus the melodies gosh these melodies guys I'm just trust me in knowing they are genius melodies what she's doing over the chord changes is just spectacular but but to break it down again verse minor 6 minor 2 5 minor 3 so she's not doing anything different she just changes uh, oddly enough a step and a half which is again who does this but D-dubs, okay? But now she's going six, minor two, minor six, minor two, five. But now she does the major three. So where she was doing the minor three with that um, G uh, or F-sharp minor, now she's doing, now it's an A major, which is, who cares about all that? But just numbers-wise, it's six, two, five, major three. So it's it's like another little something you pick up because you're used to hearing the minor three in that old key. But now it's in, you love me again. Back this tip in your curls and you walked out my life and walked out of my life. Undoing these tears, cries so many nights. And then she does this really cool thing where she does B flat. Unbreak my heart. Back down to the A. And then she kind of buys her key change with that one, uh, with that uh, F sharp minor, which is that three. And then she's back. So it's it's just a really quirky, weird. Again, the pattern of some of these key changes is that they just don't make sense. Uh, I, I would argue it doesn't. You do have some shared notes in those. I mean, F and D aren't like worlds apart, but they are a step and a half apart. And so again, I think in pop music, you're kind of used to like a whole step, a half step. You don't do one and a half. It doesn't make a lot of sense, especially when you're used to hearing the key of D and then the one of the chorus is now the minor of the old key you were just in. So if you were in the key of D, now she starts the new chorus in D minor, which is not the key it's in, but it's just a really interesting shift in your in your brain melodically to kind of go, oh. And I'm telling you, it, it, for those who really enjoy this kind of stuff, please peruse Diane Warren's catalog. Just go to Apple or Spotify and they, there's a million playlists of all of her greatest hits and they all are sneaky, man. She's got these little things that she does that you're like, what's happening? But again, the consistency is like uh, like we were talking about in um, Only Heart and even in Sailing, 
they're key changes, but they're consistent in what they're doing in the key changes. Again, it's six two five three for the verse, and then it's six two five major three on the chorus. So it's cool that while they do key changes, there's something in it that I think subliminally or subconsciously rather, you're you're going, oh, I kind of I, I'll stay with you because it, this is something I'm already used to in the song. I don't know if any of these people meant to do that, but my gosh, it makes me happy, and it sort of like lights up all the little meters in me of like um, key changes that are effective in making you feel a certain way consistently, which I love. Hot take four. Okay, for this hot take, we're going to calm down a little bit. It is a key change, but it's more, it, it's not quite as intense. If you're list, if you're still listening to this, I applaud you for staying around if you're not a musician or this is not really your, um, your bag, because I know there's been a lot of math and uh, maybe, it fe- or at least it feels like math in your brain, all these key changes and chords and trying to keep up with it. I'm trying to make it as um, digestible as possible, but some of this stuff is just tricky. So this is a fun one. So Huey Lewis in the news. Let me let me say a couple things about them. I may have said this in in a uh, in a show before, but this is one of those bands that I get really frustrated when people sort of either joke about or they're kind of like eh, they kind of slough them off. I would argue one of the best combinations of musicians in the last 30 or 40 years is that band. And right now you're laughing. And now for anybody of you who really love and listen to music and feel like you understand music, I dare you to go back and listen to that band. Listen to the players and listen to their execution, their technique, and literally what they're playing. This is one of those bands that I think really fleeced the American public on their actual skill set because these guys are monster players. Monster players. I think their guitar player is one of my favorite guitar players of all time. And I know what's happening is some of you are sitting there going, Huey Lewis in the news, but again, this is why I do this podcast. Go back and listen to the tracks. Not, you know, I know some people kind of feel like it's cheesy music. I love it. I think Huey Lewis is one of the greatest pop songwriters of the last 30 or 40 years. But I think a lot of people are sort of like, eh, Huey Lewis. But do me a favor and just, if you don't like the songs, sit through the songs and just do do the due diligence. Ooh, do the due diligence. Boom, to do the diligence, boom, but and, and listen to what they're playing. Try to sit and listen. Okay, I'm gonna listen this time to the guitar. Wow, okay, the guitar player, the bass player, the saxophone player. These guys were and they still are incredible talents. So, with that said, I'm digressing now. Listen to the heart of rock and roll. Listen to how cool the sax solo lick coming out of the key changes. So that so they go from being in C, it's a blues thing, so it's C down to uh, B flat, <clears throat> kind of a blues thing they're doing. It's got F in there, so all the chords you're kind of used to in a blues thing. But what what they do in that bridge, is, or in the solo section rather, which is really a bridge, is they change key to F, which you don't, it's a really cool subtle key change because you're used to hearing F in that, in those progressions. And so all of a sudden, and he's used F a good bit in the song so far, and then it changes keys to F, so now it's F is your one and B flat your four. But it's fun because the whole solo is an F, and it just gives this little spike of energy. But listen to how cool the lick is he plays going back out of it into C as the as the uh, as the new key again, which is the key of the verse. It's just such a cool... I remember driving. I was driving the kids to school. I always hear these when I'm driving the kids to school because we listen to the radio. But um, I remember hearing that, and literally, I just started laughing. And my kids were like, what's so funny? And I just thought, that dude just stuck the crud out of that landing coming out of that key. And it shows his... He knows what he's doing. That sax player knew exactly what he was doing. I don't know how schooled he was or trained, but that that is a guy who was well acquainted with, oh, for me to land this back and see, I got to do these notes to make it work. It is wonderful. 
wonderful. And again, I think really flexes the Huey Lewis sort of skill set, which that band has in spades that I think just doesn't get talked about enough. They're geniuses. And I think uh, the way they handle that key change is really, really cool and kind of shows that. Hot Take 5. Guys, if we're going to talk about uh, key changes, the the GOAT songwriting of key changes, um, and I think anybody that has done the deep dive into this would agree with me, is uh, Paul Simon's Bridge Over Troubled Water. And the reason that I say this, I don't know if another song has ever done this, or maybe one since it's done this, but it uses every single tone in a scale, every single note in the scale. So let's say you're looking at a keyboard at a piano and you're in the key of C. Typically, if you're in the key of C and you write a song in C, you are dealing with seven notes that you have access to because they're in that key. Any note that is not in that key and you sing is going to rub weird. It's going to sound like out of key because it is. What Paul Simon does in this key, and then you'll have key changes, which are really common as we've hugely established. But even in key changes, you're going to have notes that aren't used in those two keys that never get used. Even three key changes, you know, you'll you'll kind of have these um, these these songs that they just never cover all of the notes on uh, in a key. What is crazy about uh, still crazy about all these years? Hey, I'm going to do that. Is that it covers every single note uh, of the scale, every single note. So if you're looking at a keyboard, that's C, C sharp, D, D sharp, E, F, F sharp, G, G sharp, uh, A, A sharp, uh, B, and then C. So it's crazy, crazy. So I'm not going to this. This is a headache of a study. I'm not about to sit here and show you how he does that because it would take would be like a It'd take me days to even figure that out. But I, w- I thought it was interesting. I wanted to at least in- it kind of give you an insight into what's happening because, one, just go listen to the song and realize it is a very rare feat. And again, I, I-, I would assume with songs with enough key changes, you probably end up doing that. But, you know, Paul Simon's point was not to just keep key changing up. It's to keep the key center as the same tonal center so you keep coming back to it. So it's like, it's not just we're going to half, you know, half step key change into oblivion so we cover every note. I think he wanted to kind of keep the tonal center the same and then venture out but come back, which is really hard to do because once you've left, you got to figure out ways to get back. And especially if you're trying to achieve every note in the scale, you're doing some really elaborate, weird key changes that are tricky to navigate. But what I want to do, and, and I'm just going to read from this article because I think this song is a is a piece of work. I mean, it, it deserves to be in the Smithsonian. But just to give you a peek into Paul Simon's brain and why these things tend to happen, I thought this was fascinating, and I hope you guys too. This is from an article on American Songwriter that Paul Sol- Zolo, Paul Zolo wrote, who is who is the he's got a book called Songwriters on Songwriting. That anyone who's mildly interested in songwriting, this is the Bible of songwriting, in my opinion. He's sat down with all of the great songwriters from the last really fifty years and and interviewed them, and they just kind of talk about songwriting. This is from an interview on American Songwriter, so this is not me. I want to be really clear. I'm, I'm Paul Zolo, who is the goat of sort of songwriting books. This is an interview he did with Paul Simon, and basically they're talking about. Um, still crazy after all these years. And he said, I asked Paul about it and his eyes kind of come to light because he gets to finally talk about it. Because, you know, not a, not a lot of people who aren't musicians would hear that song and realize what he's doing. Because, you know, when you've sort of employed a tactic and pulled off this sort of masterful stroke of genius, 
you know, but you can't really get to talk about it because nobody cares or understands. It's got to be a bummer. So I'm going to read a couple of things to you here. It says, I was studying with a bass player. This is Paul Simon saying this. I was studying with a bass player and composer named Chuck Israel. Uh, so I was doing more Israel, sorry. So I was doing more interesting changes. I was studying harmony with him. So I was more concentrated on that kind of stuff. One of the things I know that was his suggestion was the modulation in the last verse, taking that minor chord and turning it into a major chord therefore going up a whole step in the key. That was a nice idea. The rest of the changes were things I was working on. It seems that once I was working with Chuck, I began to write some songs where the bridge jumped a whole step, which we've actually talked about that, and went to the major seventh a whole step up. I didn't know if that was his suggestion or something I inferred from studying with him, but prior to studying with him, I didn't use that device. So I want to pause really quick to say for the songwriters in the room, this is why studying what we do, I think is really helpful. And and you're going to meet a million people like, I don't study what I do and they have a natural talent to do this. But I think if one of the greatest songwriters, in my opinion, that's ever lived in Paul Simon studied to get better at what he does and had great success after studying it, I think it's just a great thing for all of us to sit and pick parts, songs part. I mean, that's... Again, a huge reason I do this podcast is I think any of us that love songwriting, it's going to help you to sit and just, it's like if you want to learn how a clock works, you take a clock apart. I think if you want to learn how Still Crazy after all these years works, you sit down and you learn the chords and you figure out why the melody works like it does uh, because it really does inform what you're doing, which I love that Paul says that and honestly admits that. Uh, he says, I don't remember exactly because I wrote Still Crazy on guitar and then made it to the record on piano. I didn't play it, so I forgot. I wrote the bridge based on something I learned from Antonio Carlos Jobim, who wrote um, Girl from Ipanema. In fact, I once mentioned that to him, and he said he wasn't aware of it at all. Again, two times that Paul admits he had studied these things. These were things that he was really curious about, so he spent time uh, studying. Um, it was kind of an exercise that I did, which was to try and get every note from a 12-tone scale into a song. So that's, again, 12 tones instead of seven. Uh, that's all the black keys and the white keys in a key and from C to C. Um, so what would happen is that I would cover most of the notes in the song and there would be maybe three notes that I couldn't get into the scale of the key that I was using. And those were three notes that, uh, that were really the key to the bridge in this song. Usually it would be a tritone away. This is all kind of gooby, but it would be a tritone away from whatever key you were using. If you're in the key of C, the farthest away you can go is F sharp. And that's the last, and that's the key that's the least related to C. I can't really recall exactly why I chose to make it a piano song. Um, also, because I was working with gifted pianists like Richard T. and Barry Beckett, they might change the chords suddenly because the bass note of the chords of the song might have evolved harmonically because of some musician's input after I took it off the guitar and gave it to them. All of that to say, it's so cool for me to see not just that he pulled this off, but there was some study and some intent in him trying to do it. So go listen to that song again and realize that he does this. He covers all 12 tones in a, in a scale, in the scale and all, you know, on a, on a piano. And, uh, but especially, I think it's really cool to hear that he meant to do it. Um, that he was sort of like, Oh, I want to see if I can pull this off. And at the risk of being that guy, I have a song called dream in electric blue that actually did a key change in, uh, in the, um, in that song on the bridge, because I had studied so much key changes. I was actually doing this podcast and I thought I want to do a cool sort of weird, wacky key change. And that's why I wrote that key change into that song. And so it's fun to see how much, when you sort of study these things, they really do, uh, come out in your writing life. Um, you know, I think you'll see, I think it's true for any craft, you know, you, you really study people who are good at it and the masters and all of a sudden those things really inform your, um, your ability to do it. And I think I would also add, that's why they got good at it. So many of those people, the Paul Simons and these people, they studied the, the ones ahead of them and that's why they got so good at it. So that's just a little songwriting plug there. But 
an amazing song, a sort of the goat of key changes song right there. Um, and a fun one to end this sort of like study on key changes on. <laughs> Would you look at me, guys? I'm just going on and on and on because I can't help it because I love it. I love music. I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. I don't even know what accent that was, but you know what? We're not deleting because we're having too much fun. Um, deleting is cheating. <laughs> <laughs> God, I made myself, made myself laugh. So anyway, um, I just want to say thanks for listening again, guys. And I feel like we learned a lot of things today, didn't we? But i tell you one thing we didn't learn is that there are actually no thieves in Steely Dan. <laughs> so just something to think about. God bless. We'll see you on the other side. There's five hot takes. Yeah.